Welcome to the No Fly List, which is a Thier and my podcast about being a person of color in America during this crazy time. And I'm really excited to have you on, Molly, who listeners will know Molly from all of her artwork, also her reporting and everywhere from Syria to Puerto Rico to the border. Um, but I was interested in having you in particular because you and I share sort of this um, not looking like what we are type of thing, and it's something that I'd like to talk about. So my name is Layla. I'm a Thier. And this is Molly Crabapple. Do you say hey it like Crabapple? Yeah, you got it perfectly. Okay, good. Because did you ever watch The Simpsons? Oh my God, I've gotten that so many <laughs> times. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, good to know. Do, do, I don't know. You don't know reference. what I'm talking about, either. Uh, You're so I'm, cool. I know. One it's of terrible. The teachers, I'm not seeing. Look at her like learning I'm things so while we were getting stoned <laughs> and watching The Simpsons. Who's, who's like barely watched The Simpsons? Terrible. That is so shameful. Um, I know. I know. There's a teacher or the main teacher on The Simpsons. Her name is was Mrs. Crabapple, but it's oh. spelled Crabapple. Um, and eventually, I think she died, doesn't she? she? I didn't know she died. I think she died. And Spoiler it was really alert. Sad. <laughs> well, because no. either the voice person actually died in real life or they just wrote off the character or killed her or whatever. But I remember like there recently, like in the past like year or two, there's like some artwork where Bart is like, I'll miss you, Miss, Mrs. Krabappel. And oh. it's really sad. Yeah. Anyway. So it's pronounced <laughs> how it's. Hers written. Yes. Molly's is pronounced Crabble. how it's written, which is, in my opinion, the correct way. Yeah, and you just came out with a book? Yeah, so this is my, my new book is called Brothers of the Gun. I, I wrote it with one of my best friends and certainly the bravest journalist that I know, Marwan Hisham, who is a Syrian journo who lived in Raqqa for two years after ISIS invaded and did undercover journalism. Oh, wow. So it's his memoir uh, that I co-wrote with him and that I illustrated. I, I had known him for about a few years before that because he would send me surreptitiously taken pictures and I would draw from them and despite what might seem as a pretty grim subject matter which is you know the the revolution the betrayal of the revolution ISIS and then the destruction of his hometown by every power in the world despite that it's still a book with a lot of black wit because that's who Marwan is yeah how did you how did you guys decide to write this book and it's also like such a weird and cool concept um like you just described like writing drawing things from his memory and from photos from like how did you guys come up with it well i got to know marwan in twitter in 2014 i had been maybe even 2013 man it was when i had just started covering syria and you remember when there was that kind of just nucleus of people who would talk about Syria online and yeah. like yeah. some and some of them were like and they anal- still do yeah they still they still <laughs> yeah. do but it's gotten to be a much more horrific and toxic um, space even than it was then but I, I got to know him then and I think we actually got to know each other because we were me and him and Aris Rusinos and another guy were making mean spirited couplets <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, so at first he was kind of a source to me and then I started studying Arabic pretty hardcore mm-hmm. and he has a like a badass literary education and he was just I mean he was teaching me you know and so we got to be much closer and then in 2014 I, I asked him I was like Marwan do you have any you know photos on your phone just of your hometown like just the kind of photos we all have and he's like no but I could take some and I tell him like 
you're not going to get yourself killed for me. What the hell are you talking about? And he's like, no, no, it's my hometown. It's totally fine. Don't worry. You're just being like an American. Like, you don't understand. I got this. Right. And then he goes around and he takes pictures inside an ISIS hospital with a cat with a security camera pointing straight at his face. Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. So he wasn't living there at the time? No, he was living in Raqqa at the time. Um, Had he lived outside of Syria? No, he had never lived outside of Syria. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. He, he had only been outside of Syria um, to do Umrah, and okay. he, um, but he was an English literature student, so he um, certainly had a like, much more literary English education yeah. than I do. I can't read James Joyce. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, he, he was inside Syria, and he um, co-managed an internet cafe there. Oh, nice. That's crazy. And you guys just came off your book tour, right? Yeah. How was that? I know there was one particularly annoying guy that you totally <laughs> shot down, and it went super viral online, and everybody was like, clap hands emoji about it. Oh, God. Wait, I, what happened? I didn't hear about that. This oh. person was like, Bashar al-Assad didn't gas anyone. Uh, people in rebel-held territories gassed themselves to make, some, make him look bad, obviously. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, As if he needs that's help. that's totally the thing that people would do. Like, yeah, and, and after, like, seven years, you know, they know that if you just make Assad look bad any day now, there's going to be intervention. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and also, he was like, the white helmets aren't rescue workers. They're also, I don't know, all pretending to die. And so, yeah, that, that, there was that horrible man. I mean, it was weird because, like, Marwan couldn't go to America. And yeah. It wasn't even just because of the Muslim ban. It was because, you know, the regime, it doesn't really make it easy for you to get a passport if they don't like you. Yeah. Um, and they've made, just as a moneymaker, they've made it. So I think it's $1,500 now to get a passport if you're outside of Syria. Wow. And, you know, just, like, very humiliating. That's and then, crazy. And then, like, Turkey also, they don't really give residency permits mm-hmm. to Syrians anymore. So, like if you leave Turkey, you might just end up like never being able to get back with your family or trapped in an airport somewhere. So even before like we were thinking about like the Muslim ban, it was just almost a bureaucratic impossibility. Right. But um, one thing that was really cool was we did an event together in Istanbul. Uh, That was like our IRL thing. And that was the first meeting. No, no. I went to Istanbul and Ankara 13 times to do this book with him. Oh, okay. But it was our first like thing that we could do together. Like first promo. yeah, Yeah, yeah. Because before that, like, we would just Skype him in, but that's always, like, weird and alienating, and, you know, sometimes you can't hear right. But that was, it was awesome. And it was especially cool because it was put on by an art magazine, and the audience are all these, like, Turkish hipsters. And they have all these, like, fucked up ideas about Syrians, unfortunately. Like, there's a lot of racism and a lot of just, like, ideas that, like, all Syrians are religious fundamentalists who love Erdogan there. And so it was really cool to be able to actually have them in the room with this like brilliant writer who is Syrian and he can actually talk to him and he can be like no that's not how things are and they can actually have have a dialogue as opposed to the usual thing in Turkey which is just talking about Syrians even though there are three million Syrians living there right as if they're not part of the dialogue I think same with Palestinians oh yeah you know I'm sure many other oppressed minorities people speaking for them and thinking that they know best and and not really understanding the situation firsthand from their point of view and if you just listen they have so much more to offer oh my god yes I mean that that was the thing like with this book I could have done it like the typical way which would just be to like take some fascinating person and mine their life story and then just put my name on it right and be like look at me I'm so amazing I and I I just refused to I, I thought that was bullshit I mean Marwan is braver and knows more than literally any foreign journalist possibly could simply by living two years Mm -hmm. under ISIS and just by being an extraordinary person. 
And I mean, what a dull thing it would be to just intersperse yourself Mm -hmm. in between that. And so one of, I mean, the reasons I was really excited about doing this book was um, besides just like, you know, getting this really cool artistic thing and getting to work with a friend was taking someone whose voice like desperately, desperately is needed and is systematically and structurally kept from being able to speak to like big audiences. So did he start out, he wasn't a journalist, right? Marvana's not a journalist. He was just living there and was tweeting about the situation and you guys connected. And then through him telling his story, you guys connected and started writing this book. Exactly. Yeah, like that's incredible. I mean, he like would write for himself. Like he'd write like political analysis for himself, mm-hmm. but he mostly just tried to tweet journalistically because he was really into journalism. But instead, instead of writing, he would more like give a lot of information to other journalists. And I was just like, that's, you know, yeah, you should you know, be making money and yeah. getting credit for Take this yourself. Credit, yeah. yeah. I feel like in Syria and even in Iraq, like more like 15 years ago, um, that sort of like I forget what they call it, like citizen journalism, where um, people on the ground just start tweeting or blogging about because with Iraq, there was Riverbend, who was like this young girl who started blogging about what was going on. And that ends up being like the biggest resource to journalists, but also the biggest resource to like everybody trying to figure anything out about what's going on. And giving those people a platform is always, I feel like something that more journalists should do so it's very cool that you guys got to turn it into a really cool project thank you and it's your second book right yeah it's my second book. what's your first book about um, my first book is about being an artist in New York and it's called drawing blood and it's kind of my I don't know my life story that sounds so wanky it sounds so <laughs> wanky when I describe it I like I I I, I, I mean I I mean this I was joking with Marwan when we were doing this because he's like, I hate writing about myself. It sounds so wanky. And I'm like, haha, I did this with myself and now yeah. I inflict the misery on you. I wish I could say the same as a stand-up comedian's pretty much my whole you life. Just talk about yourself. Talking about myself. I'm like, my life is so interesting. Random strangers on stage will love to hear about this. Yeah. It's, it's more poking fun at my life. I guess it's different. But it, there, there's certainly a level of narcissism when it comes to stand-up. I mean, for I sure. think with, with any job, besides like an a true like service job like you have to have a little bit of not narcissism but like you know a little bit of the ability to like you know turn the the lens on yourself so to speak and kind of show people that look I can look at myself too I can talk about myself and see what my flaws are but also what my good qualities are and I think that's really important um Danny has a copy of your book on his like he has a red bookshelf and a have not read bookshelf and he has yours on the red bookshelf and I've been meaning to steal it because but I always you know what I assumed I assumed that it was also about Syria because I met you in like that context um but now that I know it's about you I'm and I was like it might be really sad and you know my life is already like my work too is always so like sad and depressing that I don't always choose for fun books that are going to be um also in that that realm so I'm actually really excited yeah I want to read it after you're done I also love that title drawing blood because like the cover is so fucking cool well all of your artwork is very cool you did the illustration I'm guessing on this book yeah Yeah, I did that's so cool and you were talking about the illustration animations that you're doing right now where it's can you describe it like what kind of so they're basically like stop motion animations where it's like okay so you know you've seen those whiteboard illustrations Mm -hmm. imagine if it wasn't like a stupid whiteboard where you're just wiping it off but imagine Mm -hmm. if it was actually like with paint and all of those like physical you know materials so I started doing those about fuck man in 2014 
usually trying to explain stuff about mass incarceration because a lot of that stuff it's really complicated it's filled with numbers it's mm-hmm. incredibly grim and depressing and and it's hard to explain to people so um me and um, my friends uh, kim bookbinder and jim bat we developed the style to kind of tell that story through these kind of hand-drawn stop-motion animations and yeah, we've done a, we've done a lot of them. I, I did ones with like Jay Z and John Legend and stuff. Um, That's so cool. It was, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's a funny process. It's you you kind of stay up all night because we don't have sufficient curtains in this apartment, <laughs> and so you stay up all night to keep the lighting under control. You work for about twelve hours, two nights in a row, drawing, and there's sort of a frame above your table with a camera pointing down filming your hand you lean way back so that you don't have your head in it and you draw in this really really choreographed way and my my last ones they've been for um there's this really amazing organization called equal justice initiative that opened up a museum about slavery and about lynching and so uh, they're basically like animations about the lives of people that were murdered in lynchings which is I'm wow. in speaking of things that are incredibly devastating to do but a uh, work that I feel like very honored and valuable to do t- as well how do you go from working for let's say an artist like Jay-Z or John Legend to doing very serious journalism or very serious sort of like advocacy artwork when they're you know they're they're two sides of the same coin because you're doing the same task I guess but the mindset is so different and I feel like that would be really hard on on you mentally well with Jay-Z and with John Legend it was actually a little bit of a departure for them like Jay-Z was narrating a thing about um how the war on drugs targeted black people Mm -hmm. and John Legend was narrating the film about um cash bail Mm -hmm. so that was it was the same except that you know it was a celebrity voicing Mm -hmm. it but I, I recently did a music video with Kim and Jim for the Chainsmokers, oh, cool. uh, who I didn't know about because I'm old. But I have, <laughs> I have I've since learned they're they're quite they're famous. Like, yeah, super they're super huge, huge, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that was really different because it was for a, a song called Somebody, and instead of us sort of being tied to doing something that narrates how the cash bail industry destroys people's lives, we got to kind of do anything, and so we just drew the chain smokers sort of going through different historical milieus and each of them collapsing in some horrible way but the chain smoking <laughs> emerging unscathed so uh, we drew uh, Pompeii and then Vesuvius exploding and burying everyone in lava and, oh my God. Oh my and we God. had like the French Revolution and then like they, they all get carted off to the guillotine and uh, it ends with the chain smokers on stage and that was just like fun like it I mean I think sometimes I've noticed that there's this idea that you know if you do like serious work that goes in the serious box that you should not be doing anything that's frivolous or beautiful or fun and almost that that's a betrayal of the serious work and how dare you people are dying over there but in reality if you don't do work that's you know beautiful or fun or frivolous or burn out yeah you'll just be dead and you and people need that like that's that's as vital as food yeah Yeah. people even in in conflict areas they need to laugh they need to have fun people actually value life a lot more than probably here because they know that life is precious oh yeah and they don't sweat the small stuff exactly so it gives you better perspective yeah yeah no totally I, i don't know why i was thinking about that recently i think it was i was 
I think it was because when I was in Guantanamo last week, which we were talking about this, because Molly has um, gone down as a journalist, but also as like one of the very few sketch artists that gets permission to draw there. Because you're not even allowed to doodle in your notebook when oh, you're really? watching court. Yeah, you can't even. They'll take it out of your notebook. Yeah. They'll confiscate oh, really? it. Yeah, yeah. So it's a big deal. And um, one of the things that I noticed is when I would talk to the victim family members there, I would feel really, really sad for them. Like a lot of empathy in a way that I haven't felt covering other things. And I tried to like decide why I was feeling that way because I worked with like Syrian refugees and the whole time I was there, I was always so upbeat. And I think it was because in my eyes, I was watching, I worked with a lot of women and mothers that were refugees and they were just so badass that I was like, these women are women are bulletproof. They are so fucking cool. They can survive anything. And they were so easygoing. Like if you were like feeling sick, they would take care of you. And if you were like, and it was our job to take care of them. Like it was just crazy where you just felt the whole time like I'm dealing with superhuman people. Whereas when you deal with family members of 9-11, they're regular people. Like they, you know, they aren't living adjacent to a war. They're kind of, they were just going about their daily lives. And that for me was like a weird realization where I was like, I never thought about it that way, but I realized that I have this bias where I just assume that people who live in conflict zones or war zones or who even have undergone like natural disasters or extreme poverty, like anywhere in the Caribbean even, that they're just automatically tougher, which is such an unfair thing for me to assume. But it is definitely based on that idea where you're just like, you know, they take life a lot um, easier because I do think it's they're so tougher hard. in the sense that they're more resilient but I don't think that they necessarily take life more seriously yeah then as in like like you said they don't sweat the small stuff because yeah. putting things in perspective exactly like, okay I'm alive I'm well mm-hmm. I have my health like these are the big things that I'm grateful for and you know and and you need some sort of outlet in that kind of I mean I, I lived in Palestine when it was like really bad I mean still I consider myself of course like super fortunate nothing thankfully too bad happened i mean we were there during the bombings and we were like one of the first houses in ramallah that got bombed no way. and it was crazy i guess i haven't really talked no. about this on the podcast um because we're usually talking to comedians yeah exactly we're usually talking to comedians um but even with comedy i mean yeah it, it's tragedy right it's yeah. things that are tragic like when we get on stage and talk about the stuff um you know people talk about cancer and death and and divorce and whatever and it's the darkest stuff that sometimes is the funniest because it's stuff that we all relate to and we've all you know and I think the same with any kind of art you're making something beautiful out of pain and and misery and suffering and alleviating that and and kind of creating some sort of outlet stream and letting the light in I don't know does that sound corny but I feel (laughs) it doesn't sound corny at all I will say though that I sometimes do think that there is something in people's brain that um balances out for extreme shifts in happiness or sadness in the same way that like most people when they win the lottery at first you know they're really really happy but like in two years it kind of measures out or if you take someone who's like born really rich they don't derive the same even joy from that that like yeah Mm -hmm. you know someone who you know who got that you take it for granted if you always have that you know if you always have wealth or you yeah you, have money, you, you get numb to it whatever yeah. the thing is in either direction for yeah. sure exactly and it's just it has to be that way for people yeah. otherwise you wouldn't be the human human beings wouldn't be able to function yeah. but I mean what I've noticed with uh, a lot of my friends who have gone through really really uh, terrible trauma is that while they were in uh, that situation like while they're in that war um 
they were like totally like cool they would like joke about it yeah. it would be fine and then as soon as they got out and they got to a safe place it was like everything that they had suppressed just like came back to them and hit them like a giant hammer mm. and then they were fucked yeah i can imagine yeah have yeah because you, you don't have a oh, chance sorry. to process sorry yeah no i was gonna say have you ever had like issues with processing things that you've seen as an artist and as a journalist and kind of dealing with um all these crazy stories that you've worked on uh, at first, I, I used to, like, I remember when I went to Gaza, I covered Gaza once, and I was just so afraid of betraying people and of getting it wrong, because I knew I was an expert on it. I knew I was not an expert on it, and I knew that I just had had a chance to go there that I had seized, and um, generally, like, what I beat myself up on is, am I getting this wrong? Am I selling mm-hmm. someone out? Am I not doing this right? And um, I'm really, really hard on myself for that. Like, I could not reconcile myself with, like, getting with like doing someone wrong who wasn't in power you know what I mean yeah um like speaking for them like we were talking. yeah but the fact that you're even cognizant of that I think is uh, a lot better than oh you're yeah. doing a lot better, better than, most, than people. most people for yeah sure. yeah because most people don't care it's like how can I cover the story in the way that benefits me and then makes me more famous yeah. but yeah, yeah. for you I feel like you're really staying true to the integrity of journalism and to telling people stories which I think is really mm-hmm. admirable and important something that you know, all journalists and artists and anyone that's trying to uh, convey someone's story should focus on. Not if it's not about us. Thank you. I mean, I haven't really like. I mean, I haven't done like super frontliney stuff like you. Ha- like, like it sounds like you experienced when you were, um, you know, in Palestine. I, when when I was in Gaza, like Israel was shelling, but I also knew that like those shells were meant to murder Palestinians, and I was in a foreigner building, and so I was not it wasn't going to hit me they weren't going to do anything it wasn't going to hurt me so i wasn't scared it was just you know well they've targeted journalists and killed journalists too so i think that you're still it's you're still like you're a a lot braver than you yeah i was just just like israel is surveilling every single inch of this every bit of this is under some like whirling drone that's like you can probably see what people are eating and like no way are they going to target a building that's entirely white people that are working at aid things like i'm not gonna i'm not going to die in this bombing Yeah. yeah I think that's a really, though, that's a very, like, I sometimes I feel like when foreigners go into these places and they are scared, they're, it's almost a little bit uh, self-absorbed to be cert- scared to a certain extent because you're thinking my life is so important that somebody's going to target it. And to not be thinking that, I think, takes a lot of awareness and it takes a lot of knowledge of what's going on so even if you think you weren't an expert it is like that's something that an average tourist wouldn't know an average tourist might be scared and might be like you know they could target me and one of the things I always say when I think people are being really paranoid is like why like what would whoever whichever regime we're talking about what would they gain from killing you nothing they would actually like probably suffer a lot of collateral damage yeah but yeah yeah, but the collateral damage i think in most places in the world like even in like natural disasters Mm -hmm. always tends to be the people who nobody's gonna try to find out who they were or what their name was but when like a white girl goes missing or there's like a word for it like white girl missing syndrome or something (laughs) that happened like it's like a studied like phenomenon in the like media like holloway remember? yeah she's like from where Alabama. oh yeah i totally she forgot about that yeah yeah i think we graduated high school like closely that's crazy. It's crazy but like it, yeah. it's a real thing i mean the thing is it's like obviously there are places like if you know when i was in syria for my one day that i spent in syria i was terrified the whole time because they were ki- you know yeah, targeting well, yeah. foreigners <laughs> to kidnap them but it's like i mean it's that just that principle like what people do of threat modeling right yeah. when you think like who is 
who would actually be trying to target someone mm-hmm. why like exactly. what, in what ways yeah. and you know that's always different but I mean in general I've felt that like looking like a white girl has mostly um, given me an intense amount of probably the ideal amount of privilege to go most yeah. places because um, especially if you're you know kind of if you're pretty if you look young yeah. you know people assume you're not threatening they exactly. assume you're not serious they assume you're kind of stupid mm-hmm. which is always helpful right yeah. you know <laughs> they assume you're just like you're just a girl and you're yeah. just like, what, what harm can a girl do and I've definitely gotten into a lot of places um because of that and I'm sure that there are like many many disadvantages too but I've, I've always like felt frustrated when people act like things are um scarier and more threatening yeah. than they actually are for, for them because sure. it's like okay like let's say you are like a pretty little white girl or whatever who's doing journalism like use that privilege use that yeah. privilege so that you can you know like stand up to like an idf person who's abusing someone or so that you can get into um you know an ice an ice center because mm-hmm. no one's gonna like shoot right. you i mean there's all sorts of places yeah. and things that That's you true. can do you can use it for advantage yeah why don't molly that was one of the things that um i was sort of like hinting at at the beginning is that you were just recently on the border and one of the things you talked about in some of your coverage was how you were able to get access to a lot of places because even though you're half Puerto Rican which we should definitely talk about you don't necessarily look what somebody thinks a Latin woman should look like exactly which yeah. I experienced too because I'm very very pale um, and mm-hmm. not what it took to look like the same there. color I know like, like, <laughs> I feel like we could totally be sisters um I could see it yeah <laughs> but but yeah like how how has that like especially in situations like that where it is it is you know to some extent your own people that you were sort of covering and people that you may have a little bit of a you know I don't know what the word is like you know it's like your flesh like in I feel like Arab culture we talk about this a lot like these people can be your blood right like mm-hmm. Syria the Syrian conflict for Palestinians was pretty huge because it's like that those are basically it's like family you know it's like like brothers of the gun as um, just to shamelessly plug your book, but <laughs> but how did that feel going down there and sort of having that veil over you? Well, I, I didn't get a lot of access to be honest, because and that I mean, I don't even think that was like racialized at all. I think just the press wasn't oh, getting yeah. access at all. Like no, no one. Like you. Yeah. Um, when were you there? I was there two weeks ago. Okay. And I okay. Let me give you an example of. I feel like I have to like just give you give you like a day in the life of getting yeah, fucked yeah. over for access with ice. <laughs> so okay, you um, they tell you that you need to apply forty eight hours in advance to go to um, a court that is supposedly open to the public. It's an immigration court that is um, in Port Isabel uh, Detention Center, which is not open to the public. So you have to apply with the executive office of immigration review to go into the court even though it's supposedly open mm-hmm. to the public and then you have to apply with ice to go into the detention center so that you can go into mm-hmm. the court so i apply i get all my permissions i have my letter from rolling stone you know all my ids and uh, i i drive like shit because i'm a new yorker so my friend <laughs> ariel she's driving me so we roll right up at eight forty-five, and this guard he's like molly your name is on the list uh ariel your name's not on the list so you can't go in and I say, oh, okay, that's fine. Uh, I'll just walk. The courtrooms, right, courthouse is right over there. And he says, no, walking is forbidden. You can't walk. And I say, uh, okay, well, uh, Ariel will, uh, she'll just drive me in and drive me out. You can look, you can watch. Right. And he's like, no, that's forbidden. She's not on the list. Oh. And I um, technically, I guess I could have driven in myself, but that would have involved leaving Ariel on the yeah. side of a dirt road in the middle of nowhere with yeah. no right, sun no protection car. for three yeah. hours. Yeah. So like, we weren't going to do that. And so I ask him, I'm like, 
well, uh, can I take a taxi? And he's like, yes, but I'm not going to give you the taxi number. What? And I, I start telling him, like, you know, officer, um, I got my credentials. I have, you know, all these things. No one told me anything about walking being forbidden. Can you show me where this rule is? And he is like, no, I'm not allowed to show you. And I say, can I speak to your supervisor? What's your supervisor's name? I'm not allowed to tell you. At this point, he starts stroking his gun like it's a fucking dick. <gasps> you know, fuck? like, oh not like God. taking it out or anything, but just sort of but like stri- massaging yeah. it. Like yeah. making oh, sure okay. you know yeah. that it's there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you have to imagine That's this kind of mall. very threatening. This yeah. kind of like mall cop looking dude, yeah, like yeah. sort of like stroking his gun, being uh, like, I can't tell you my supervisor's name and you have to get out of gross. here. Yeah, yeah. So that like kills the morning session, right? You can't go, mm-hmm. you can't go in. Um, so then we f- call around. We find there are two taxi companies that are allowed to go in there. It's $30 for them to take you just from there to the cab, like basically for a 10 minute drive. And we find out that immigrants also who have just been let out of detention are not also not allowed to walk and get their family to pick them up. They also have to pay $30 to do this, even though they have no cash on them. Right. Because they've just been let out of detention. And um, so then I, you know, I take the cab in and I draw and it's fine. Then the next day I get a um, email from uh, the Department of Justice where they um, asked me if I have smuggled an artist into the courtroom. <laughs> um, and I'm like, how would, how? I do, how would I do that? They searched the car quite thoroughly. I say, I, I drew. And then she says, you didn't have permission. And I'm like, well, I, I did have permission. And this is where it reminds me of Guantanamo yeah. Bay. I, I was like, I did have permission. Here's my permission. You gave it to me. She's like, no, no, that wasn't for drawing. And you have to get that t- uh, two days in advance. Oh, my God. So oh. then, then, then forward to the next day I go to another court that's open to the public public goes there all the time not an attention Wait, center did they let you keep the drawing though yeah they did they okay, they okay. didn't realize what they was going on okay. yeah no they didn't take it because the rule was invented that was yeah, why right. it wasn't a real rule so um they so I go to this other immigration court the next day and lo and behold there is a new rule that has been circulated um in the wee hours of the morning that bans unauthorized sketching oh uh, and threatens federal penalties for unauthorized wow. sketching in court. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. did you end up doing? Um, I drew, or no, I didn't draw. I wrote my words in okay. a way that expa- that showed the shape of people. Oh my God. <gasps> that is so wow. cool. Thank That's you. That's very creative. Yeah. Wait, yeah. is that out yet? Um, that one's not out yet. They're not going to put that in the print one. They'll probably put it online. Yeah. I'll, I'll show I'll show you guys it. You're it'll, like yeah. the MacGyver of courtroom Seriously. artists. <laughs> I'm like, I get so frustrated. I feel like my all my days is being like the worst student in the world and just like the bane of my teacher. And <laughs> it was like, it's just it's just this impulse. I'm like, oh, yeah, you think you think? No. Nah. Yeah. And of course, the courtroom, it's horrible. It's like a um, 14 year old boy who only spoke Kiche, which is a Mayan language, uh, had no lawyer, no parent with him. And the translator who's speaking like through a phone, he doesn't really understand her dialect of Kiche, and she's saying there are no dialects of Kiche, and I'm an expert. Right. Oh my god. In English, like she's saying this. Oh my god. And it was yeah, it was all underage, like you know, like like ages 14 to 17 That's year old boy and girl, boys and girls from Central America, like indigenous kids. Um, so I mean, the only thing that I think I didn't get messed with for being Latino for, for, for like the, that if I was a Latina or more visibly Latina yeah. I would have gotten messed with was there there's a giant sort of spaceship looking um border control checkpoint um on the way out of town and um me and my friend uh, Ariel went through it and they were just like are you citizens I'm just like yeah I didn't say anything and then they just waved us through and 
I am a hundred percent sure that if I looked how they thought like Mexican looked, yeah, right. yeah that exactly. I that I would have been stopped. But I mean, to be honest, like McAllen, where I was, is like mostly it's most as far as I saw, like largely Mexican, like largely mm-hmm. Chicano, like even all of the ICE and border control people were all like you know like Latinos themselves. Wow. Um, how do they do that? Kind yeah. Of how do they re- like reconcile that? I don't know. I don't know. It's. It, I mean, I suppose it's. Like, most oppressors have usually gotten, like, sort yeah. of a yeah. layer of local, you know, like, local oppressors. Um, but it's fucking horrible. I don't know how anyone does it. Um, I heard horrible stories. One woman, she even told me it was so gross. She was a Guatemalan lady, and she told me that in the border processing center, a guard who was Mexican-American, who was speaking to her in Spanish, mocked her for the type of Spanish that she spoke. What? And was, like, mocking her. She's like, you can't even speak Spanish. Oh, my God. Oh my God. It just, like, what the hell? It was, like, layers of, like bullshit Abuse and horror and just yeah horrifying I, do you speak spanish really badly like <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm really trying to get better at it um but it's i, I i've been mm, trying to learn yeah. since like high school week because we had to take classes yeah. um <laughs> i speak like I, so gringa I like lo- yeah. oh i want to learn I mean, we should do a language exchange we i should. speak arabic you can sp- I help practice me. my bad arabic you know <laughs> yeah oh you can teach God. us greek this is like the most useless thing you could ever learn. Greek, Greek is not useless. It's so We're useless. all going to be like moving to Athens, you know? <laughs> I hope so. I keep trying to convince Danny, my boyfriend, that we should move to Athens. I thought Only you said you hate Greece. I do hate Greece, but it's super cheap. And now all these cool journalists moved to Athens because they had to leave Istanbul or like ah. the Middle East. So now it's, there's like all these cool people. And when I was growing up there, there were no cool people. Like yeah. it was not a cool place to live. And it... Whatever. We could open up a comedy club there, and then I'll come. They, t- they always <laughs> talked about, I don't know, I'm sure they talked about this with you, Molly, about opening up uh, a bar. Um, like, all the journalists wanted to, op- not in Athens. They, I think it was originally supposed to be in, like, Erbil or something or somewhere in Iraq. Yeah. Um, so that was their dream, to open up a journalist so a bar. bar. Yeah. They, sh- they should do it in Athens. I, I want to run off to Athens. Right? I, mean, I, lo- I love that place. Yeah. I didn't know you grew up there, though. Yeah, yeah. I lived there until, like, from like the middle of elementary school until I was uh, ready for high school because and only me and my little brother moved back because I was like I I hated it there growing up but everybody hates like the place where they grow up and I was just like uh, I want to go to college in the states I want to have peanut butter again I want (laughs) to do all these things that I feel like oppressed that I was not able to do Um, so I I told my mom I was like we're moving in with my dad and like there's nothing you can do about it so it, it wasn't like a very like happy time but um but yeah so it's like peanut butter i have my peanut butter now and i like never (laughs) eat peanut butter but at the time you could not get peanut butter anywhere i think it was the same palestine yeah like like it was like a cool and it was so like some kids would come to my school and have like peanut butter or like american candy and it would be like they were the coolest fucking people in the world (laughs) i feel like though that specific time of age there's not a single person in the world who's happy during that time exactly and the very worst thing probably is to spend that time in like a fucking awesome city yeah and then you're just like i hate yeah. paris exactly. paris is so shitty yeah. yeah i'm like i grew up in alabama so yeah, exactly. <laughs> alabama and palestine although i liked living in palestine it was it just got every time we mo- tried to move back permanently it was just too dangerous to yeah. live there and my dad was living and working in alabama so we kept moving back but i i enjoyed it but that's probably because i knew that i couldn't like stay there for yeah. long um where did you grow up I grew up in Farakaway, which is in Queens, and then in Long Island, and then I moved back into the city, like, into Manhattan to go to school when I was 17. Oh, wow. Okay. That's so cool. You're, like, one of the few, like, I've lived in New York for, like, two years now, and you're one of the very few, like, tried and true New Yorkers that I've, like, ever even heard of. I mean, it's, 
I feel really lucky even though like there's always this beef like there are definitely some people who grew up in Manhattan who would be like oh my god you poser um <laughs> you had to take the LIR fuck right. you like stop like culturally appropriating my like fucking opportunity side existence but I, I feel like it was an it was a New York upbringing I would I would constantly cut class I'd go into the city I would I was really obsessed with uh, Russia when I was in when no I was like way. 14 yeah well my best friend was Russian and I like idolized her she was a 17 year old girl really like brilliant girl and so I would always like I was a big nerd and I would always like try to impress her by reading about like Anna Akhmatova and Tsvetaeva and stuff and I would go to like Brighton Beach and <laughs> hang out and yeah it was it was really cool because like literally anything you ever want to learn about um you can I, I even I remember when I was 18 I so I went to I saved up some money and I spent three months in Turkey when I was 18 just traveling around and I had seen this picture in this book of um, Ishak Pasha Sarai, which is this like, really cool um, ruined palace that's all the way on the Iranian border. And I was like, I'm going to go there. Yeah. And this was, you know, 2002. So it was like right after the truce and it was still um, it's quite tense in the East anyway. And I wanted to know, like, what are what is what is what is what are Kurds? I, you know, what, what is what is this Kurdish area? And there was like a museum of Kurdish people in New York and like this like a little one wow. and like the scholarly woman uh, who was telling me about it. And I was like, th- I mean, I think about like just the privilege of being able to do yeah. that. Right. To like hang with a lady that like had lived in Kurdistan for like forever who would tell me all about that. And That's I, amazing. I know I, I do you like, though, the fact that you grew up here? Because I find that a lot of. I feel New Yorkers are more like sophisticated because they're exposed to more culture and things. And I feel like I didn't really get that culture. To, I mean, until I oh, came yeah. here. I, I didn't even know. meet like a Jewish person until I was in college for sure. Aren't you half Jewish also? Yeah, I am half Jewish, half you're, Puerto you're Rican. You're so New York. I know. It's so fucking New York. York. <laughs> they, they, met, they, they met when my dad was going to Cooney. I mean. Really? Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I think that there's a lot of a lot of that sort of mix, though, because like Jewish people in New York are like so like liberal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, um, yeah, I, I loved it, actually. It was great. I, I just wish that I lived in the actual city and not the suburbs, so I didn't have to, like, always save my pennies and then, like, sneak and take this train, and then, like, the train would be late and my mom would catch me. Oh That's nice God. that you get – I was just visiting a friend on Long Island. It's nice that you get a mix of, like, suburban life, and then you can go to the city whenever you want, and it's so close. I'm I like can't that. even imagine being able to do that as, like, I, a teenager. Like because Danny talks about that too like cutting class and coming into the city because he, he was grew in, up he was in Westchester oh, which is like okay. a northern yep. suburb and I there. just you like <laughs> you've been there I did in I Long did. Island no Why? Westchester I had to do a rotation at the hospital there oh. during my internship <laughs> I was just like she does out. like socially useful things yeah. unlike yeah. me yeah. <laughs> I'm like, it, no you do super lo- socially Westchester is really nice but anyway go but on. yeah no so it's just cool to hear that like in high school you, you like just it it feels to me somebody who was like because I went to high school in Alabama which is how me and a theory like we're cousins but that's how we sort of like met for the first time and like I can't like I would have died if I yeah. had that opportunity. like it's it felt like a movie and yeah. when he's even though like now I'm in New York when I hear people talk about it I still am like wow like that's so it's cool. so cool and like I wish I could have experience that sort of like sneaking out and like Nick and Nora type of that's what I was yeah. thinking of <laughs> it's I don't know it's just it's so I cool. mean I probably still wouldn't because my parents would kill me and I'd be I used terrified to sneak out a ton when I was oh, a kid and I, I got caught I was terrified I got caught and they really? cut my driver's license they cut <laughs> your driver's license they cut it in half and they were like you're never gonna drive again and it was weird because I wasn't driving back yeah I, I like senior year of high school or oh something. my god yeah yeah I, I mean how is it to grow up in Alabama? Oh, my God. 
we you're the star of the show right now so we don't need yeah. to go into it too much but it was like i hated it it was really bad i was like i was it i have i guess we haven't talked about For us in going detail. up there yeah. i talk about it extensively in stand-ups i feel yeah. like i've exhausted people <laughs> listening but i as far as a childhood you know when you're a kid you don't really know like what's going on it seemed yeah. fine to me it wasn't really till high school and after 9-11 this time yeah, i take yeah. a shot no yeah. <laughs> um it wasn't until that that I really started feeling the the hatred and the um, racism. And it was the first time I got called a terrorist. Yeah. I was with a friend of mine who was also wearing uh, was wearing a veil at the time in college. And someone just yelled out terrorist. And, like, it was the first time I was aware, like, oh, wow. Like, I get that I'm different, but I didn't realize that they hate that yeah. until, like, high school. I feel like I thought, because I had moved there from Greece and I hadn't been. And we moved, like, right after. And I, so I hadn't experienced, like post 9-11 America until I came back and then went right into Alabama and it was like people would have bumper stickers on their car like that said like everything I need to know about Islam I learned on 9-11 and people yeah people would ask me if my dad works for NASA so they would be like oh is he a terrorist like is he just working at NASA so that he can learn like government (laughs) secrets (laughs) it was yeah it was absurd and it, it I didn't think that was real and when now in New York where it is like people even like bigoted people in new york i feel like are not as bigoted as like bigoted people in maybe rural they're areas. not as vocal maybe if they're yeah, right. they're not they're, as many they might maybe be, and all yeah. like percentage wise but yeah, also exactly people will shame them so into, they might be as evil but they won't right. be as vocal as it because maybe it's slightly less accepted right um but like it's just it's crazy and people yeah people don't believe us i feel like when we talk about it or they think it's so crazy and it still goes on and when i go every time i visit i'm like wow i totally forgot how how crazy it is here i feel like one of the really how do i put this like extremely unproductive discourses of which there are many that came out of this stupid hell election that happened in 2016 Mm -hmm. was the return of the real america fake america thing and you know since i have like not only was i born in new york but i I lived here you know always except for a year that my mom kicked me out and made me live in new jersey with my dad because I was, I was bad and I deserved it uh, except so I feel like I actually I don't know real America like I or not real America but I don't know not New York America I probably know a lot more about like Istanbul than I, yeah. I do yeah. about like suburban yeah. you know stereotypical like Americana kind of like in New York you're it's a bubble on its own I feel yeah. like you're you're not like the rest of America you're not like yeah, the sure. south or the midwest or I don't know. Yeah, same, I guess same with, like, either of the coasts or even, yeah. like, any of the big cities. Yeah. It's just – that, and that's the whole reason why that election Or middle like, America. Yeah, crazy. exactly. Yeah, exactly. No one was expecting that. Yeah, it is. Do you – have you traveled a lot around the U.S.? I haven't. I In, in part because I, uh, I can't drive, uh, so it's really hard to. I mean, I've been to, like, a few places, uh, but not, not many, actually. Yeah. Uh, and – I don't even like feel guilty about it. Yeah. I just yeah, I, I was like, I'm saying, not, like New York is the best, like out. the only place that matters in America. So like, <laughs> I mean, there's lots of there's lots of cool places in America. Yeah. Like I'm not hating on it, but I, I mean, like there's lots of cool places in the rest of the world exactly. too. Yeah. yeah, and if you have the opportunity, and if you're like located in a place where you can just hop on a plane, um, and go somewhere that's like almost otherworldly, then like a thousand percent, that's what I would do. I love New York. I I can't even 
I can't even front. I'm like all about it. <laughs> but I feel like there, because of this, like there's just a lot of discourses that I don't even understand. Like in America, like for instance, the whole like, oh my God, we are losing our European culture. Oh my God, we are losing our American yeah. culture. There are so many immigrants. And I'm like, dude, what you're afraid of is your place is becoming like New York. New York yeah. is like 40% yeah. people right. born in other countries. And right. it's like, what's so horrible about like where we yeah. live? You know, mm-hmm. it's an awesome city it's actually. Great. Yeah that's the one of one of the best things about it like whenever i meet other like arabs or muslims and here like they did not have the experience that you and i had Layla, about not growing up with anyone else from your Mm -hmm. culture they're like yeah we had like a community and like my school was like what there was like like 10 arabs or whatever in my class i'm like oh my god i can't even imagine i I, yeah that's how it was when I, i went to college in michigan and michigan has a big Arab population and I I was like blown away by it and and I was in SJP in college at Michigan which was all Palestinian people and then when I went to grad school at Stanford I went to an SJP meeting and there were no Arabs and I was like first of all never even occurred to me that like other people would care enough to be in like SJP so like it blew me away but but yeah Molly do you ever feel like because kind of going off what you said Athir um, not ha- like I never had any people like me anywhere that I lived because I was always either half something or half another thing or not mm-hmm. enough of whatever. Did you ever feel that way? Grow- I guess New York is like kind of unique, but did you ever feel like not Jewish enough or not Puerto Rican enough or not white all, enough? All, all the time, all the time. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, um, you know, my mom's Jewish, but we're not religious mm-hmm. at, at all. And um, we don't really have any family connection at all with Israel um, that, you know, mm-hmm. and... I'm writing an article about it now, but my great grandfather, who we still feel quite close to, I mean, that's his painting on the wall. He was a member wow. of. Um, an he painted an- that. Yeah, yeah, he oh, was. He so was, you come from a line of artists. Yeah, I do. That's cool. But he was like literally a member of an anti-Zionist group back in the old country, really? which was called the, it was called the Bund. It was like, well, I'm writing an essay on it, but it was like the most popular uh, Jewish party in like Eastern Europe before the Holocaust, and it was. Um, it was founded on the idea that of hereness they called it where the jews had the right to like civil rights and yeah. um dignity where they actually lived instead of having to like be expelled somewhere else yeah. um and they were i mean they were very very anti-zionist they're communists too yeah so because of that i think and because that was like our relation with the old country like we just didn't have any relationship with israel in my family wow and um but I had to go to um, a religious Jewish school for a year. I, I don't know why. I think my mom thought the public school wasn't safe, and that was the cheap one. And I, I really, I just didn't relate to it at all. Um, I'm not a religious person. Like, I've, I've learned that, um, I've also just learned that I don't really, I've never sort of liked ethnically based groupings of people, like, as a sort of mode of organizing the world. Yeah. I, I've always felt like my people were, like, bookish rebels, and that's oh, yeah. who it is. And it doesn't really matter, like, where they are from. Right. And in terms of like feeling really Puerto, Puerto Rican, I think this is what you were alluding to. So yeah. like, we're both really pale. We mm-hmm. both um, are that. But also, there's like a really strong stereotype of what a Latina is. Yeah. And like, you know, you're supposed to like be able to dance well and like be super like emotional and dress a certain way and, um, you know, have a certain type of accent and do your makeup a certain way. And I, I was none of that. And so when I was growing up, like the other Latina girls were like, you know, you're acting white because you read books. And then which is like also fucked up and internalized racism you know and then um when i was an adult like people who weren't uh, latino never people who were but only people who weren't uh, they would be like well you don't seem puerto rican yeah and i'd be like well what does a puerto rican seem like and and they wouldn't be able to say it because they know it's gonna sound racist from other puerto ricans or from no from from white people because that's how for me i think um 
more so with like being Muslim. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you don't see Muslim. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah, not religious. Sure. I don't dress in the way that they think a Muslim should yeah. be dressed. So I would get that a lot. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, well, you don't see Muslim. Well, like, that's really fucked up. And, like, Why don't you conform to my ignorance stereotype? Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's, that's exactly how yeah. it was for me, too. And I have like tattoos and also I'm not at all Christian and I'm not like so even when people would say that I would be like okay I get why you're saying that because I'm not <laughs> religious but then I'm like, I have this moment where I'm like then what what do I do like what am I like I don't know what to yeah. tell people if somebody else takes away that thing that I thought I belonged into I mean do you feel like spiritually Christian or are you like an atheist who feels like you're cu- came from a culturally Christian background no I came from a culturally Muslim background mm-hmm. so my dad and my stepmom who are like my primary parents they're not religious and that they I would say they're pretty spiritual though like they still believe in stuff they read the Quran and all that they're like and my my stepmom is one of those pe- she she actually I think is pretty um she's like a modern Christian you know how Christians can like pray and yeah, she's, celebrate yeah. Christmas and still be Christians but still be cool and secular yeah, and yeah. Muslims and Jews cannot do that pretty much like only Christians can do that but she is sort of like what I consider like where Islam is moving, where she she loves to pray and she talks about it all the time. If you do something <laughs> bad, she'll be like, listen, God is watching you do that and you're going to have to pay for it later. Are you sure you want to do it? Like she is almost having that like Southern Baptist sort right. of like, you know, God's always watching mentality, yeah. but she doesn't cover and she's also yeah, like, very she practical. Really, like, yeah. yeah. She doesn't care like what you do as long as you're being a good person. Yeah. Like, you know, she's like how I wish people would perceived um muslims as or yeah you don't even have to necessarily be that way but allow other people to be that way allow like space for that in the imagination exactly and like in terms of like i don't know i've always had a really hard idea with the idea that like you i mean but this might just be my own personal hang-up i'm not dictating anyone else but the idea that like i would feel that i like belonged a certain place like because of like my because i was puerto Puerto rican or because i was jewish or whatever like i'm I guess my, my two examples would be, so I went to Israel once to go to Palfest on the Palestinian, <laughs> on, on the Palestinian Literary Festival. And I was like, this is not my fucking culture. This is mm-hmm. just like not yeah. mine. Uh, I don't relate to this. And then um, I went to Puerto Rico. And after Maria, I've been going a few times. And there's a lot of things that like kind of activate sort of like cool sense memories for me mm-hmm. or like that I'm like, wow, that's really awesome. I remember that from my grandmother or yeah. whatever. But like there's not a single part of me that is like, oh my God, because, you know, my father's Puerto Rican, this is my land and I belong here and I am a child of this land or whatever. And I've always been like very suspicious of narratives of people who um, have claimed a belonging, especially to a place that they weren't born in and have never lived in for a significant amount of time, like based on ethnicity. But that could just be me. I don't want to dictate anyone else. I I mean, I find that the case with Palestine, but I think, not me personally, but with other people. And I I can understand that because it's like currently at threat of not existing. So I think that that strengthens the the bond yeah. that you have or or the need to be there i mean i'm fortunate enough that i was able to go there and live there and i did develop that sense but i i've met other palestinians who've, who've never been there but feel very very strongly about it um but i i wonder the same thing about people well i i get it i i i understand the thought process behind jewish americans who are like okay i need to go to israel but i at the same time i don't get it like how it's like completely different culture why do you feel this connection like i know a lot of jewish people don't feel like you just said any connection you're a new yorker or whatever but to suddenly like wake up one day and you're like yeah i need to live in israel and Mm -hmm. be an israeli yeah very weird it is very weird i have i actually personally haven't met anybody that falls into that category 
and I, I like to think that I'm open-minded enough that if they, if I met one, maybe I could be like, okay, I kind of see where you're coming from, but it does feel like such a foreign concept to me where it's like what you described, Molly. I'm just like, why, why would you do that? Like, why would you think that way when you haven't been somewhere, you haven't lived there, you don't have family there, you don't have like any roots. And you're not currently being, you know, threatened living yeah. here. You're not having, yeah, exactly. you know, you're not a refugee. Yeah, I totally understand. Like when it's like, like post world war ii and that's the only place that you was be safe refuge. exactly yeah. Yeah. like i told or i guess not post pre and during world war ii um but yeah it is it is a strange thing like trying to sort of that's why it's so frustrating when people hate based on like party lines or you know bloodlines or whatever it is because it's like you know in the end we kind of made all this shit up and yeah there's such <laughs> yeah. there's such constructed there's such constructed yeah. things and like I get if your like lived experience is shaped by those constructs. I mean, all of our lived yeah. experiences are shaped by the construct that is called America and mm-hmm. how we. But the way that so many people, um, especially now, I feel like, are reacting to feeling kind of adrift in the world by seizing on these kind of imagined identities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there. So this is gonna be a sort of lighthearted deviation from <laughs> what our conversation has been. But before we wrap up, we definitely want to play this game with you that we have called, um, it's called Keeping Up with the Caucasians. <laughs> and it's basically our way of trying to bring about world peace by reaching across the aisle, picking out things that we know that are, or not that we know, but that we as, we as sort of um, outcasts in white culture, but also members of white culture yeah. in many other ways, notice white people doing, and we talk <laughs> about whether we do them also yeah. or whether we hate them. So we, our number one example is flavored hummus because flavored hummus is a crime and should not happen. <laughs> I've never um, eaten flavored hummus before, and we're not talking like garlic oh, yeah. or all. We're talking like strawberry, chocolate snickerdoodle. Yes. Like what the? Fuck? Like, Why would you put snickerdoodle in hummus? Right? I just, in Guantanamo, during the Defense's Barbecue, they offered snickerdoodle hummus. Maybe they're trying to be culturally sensitive. Did you, did you talk to Zach? Maybe Zach told them. <laughs> Zach, is, Zach is the Muslim cultural sensitivity officer. Oh, my God. No, I, I really want to find out. But that would be the most insensitive thing. I, like, but, like, but, but, but that's what he's know. accused of. He's accused of designing religiously specific tortures. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? He's, yeah. but, he, but he has, like, a bald eagle um, sculpture on his desk. And then, oh like, the world's largest prayer beads. They look like prayer beads that have, like, been physically injected with, like, oh my God. You know, lip injection stuff to <laughs> be like mega prayer beads like on his wall and uh, and yeah i could see him preferring snickerdoodle hummus being like i know i know how you will offend her <laughs> oh, so i did not partake but these anyway. are the do you have it no no you want me? okay i have it on my phone okay so these are the categories you get to you can choose from whichever you want to start with so we have food slash beverage pop culture slash tv um activities style and clothes and phrases or sayings do you have a um, so I don't know anything about TV, so that'll just be a failure. No, um, so let's not do that one. <laughs> and what, what are the other ones? Food slash beverage, activities, style slash clothes, and phrases or sayings. I, I, I'm like generally not hip on what, any, on what anyone says, so um, maybe the first three. Let's do, we can do Okay, choose. so let's go with activities. Yeah. Okay. We haven't done that in a while. Oh, we haven't. I also haven't done a physical activity in a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel you. I, <laughs> it's not going to be like biking or something. I, can't, I just no. don't know how to ride a bike. Wait, okay. <laughs> yeah, go This for one it. actually. Oh, my God. I'm going to fail, whatever it is. No, no, no. I don't know, because we were talking about skin color and, and paleness, and what are your thoughts on tanning beds have you ever done it have you ever been to a tanning no bed? i've never been to a tanning bed um <laughs> i i feel uh, indifferent to tanning beds yeah. i i i don't i i don't care i guess <laughs> but i wouldn't personally do it 
Dude, I feel strongly about tanning beds. My first job in high school was a tanning bed technician. Really? Oh, yeah. wow. That's very, very a tanning bed engineer. Yeah, in Alabama, <laughs> which just meant that I would literally clean it up from, like, gross oh, middle-aged girls housewife girls in sweat. high school, like, yeah. over the break, they would come from pale white oh, to, like, no, black. It, it was like, like, what happened? No, they, it's, like, a huge, huge thing in the South. Huge. Like, they tan, like, every single day. And legally, you can't tan twice in a day, so lots of women and i'm sure some men you get like memberships at two different chains so then they yeah like doctor shopping with pills yes exactly it's really fucked up so and it's really bad for you it does like totally increase your chances of getting cancer and i'm sure that also varies with whatever type of skin you have so um but i feel feel like people in my my school when i was growing up they used fake tanner instead which yeah which is safer yeah a lot safer which i i don't think i've ever used it but i remember it would be sometimes be streaky yeah (laughs) Yeah. Or, or you and it had that smell. Like I remember, like, the smell of... I have yeah. used fake tanner on my legs only because... No, I Are your legs really pale? Not anymore, but because my dad was strict and I couldn't wear a short, so my oh, legs would always be pale. Yeah. So I hated, like, if I was going somewhere or going to the beach with yeah, yeah, friends, yeah. I'm like, oh, my legs look so, like, pale compared to the rest yeah. of my body. Thankfully, I get that. since then, yeah. I <laughs> freed the legs and... and I'll they, allow it. Yeah. But I do remember the smell. Yeah. For the record, I did not tan at the tanning salon. Oh, and yeah. Customers would come in and be like, is why would I buy all? anything from you? You're so pale. And I would be like, do people give well, me shit for being, they give yeah. me shit for being pale too when I was growing oh, yeah. up. I felt oh, so much shit. Yeah. I felt like actually like, like if I had any sort of like persecution type thing, it was for like being yeah, like, exactly. looking like a fucking goth. That's why. It's so weird. Yeah. People were always like, and people would talk about how like my skin is like see-through because you can see my veins. Oh my, my god! Skin. Oh For my god! Dude, yes, this is it. Yeah. Sisters. I love the the goth look. Like I used to dye. I was, I don't know. I used to want to be like whiter, I guess. And I used to dye my hair black up until a few years ago, like very very dark black. And then people kept telling me that I look like Amy Winehouse. And then I was like, I gotta stop that. And I totally get why they would say I that. I know. But and Amy I'm like, Winehouse was post- beautiful. Yeah, I like yeah, Amy You look beautiful either yeah. way. Thank you. I just think I like think of like her really cracked out pictures and then i'm like ah like that's the first like yeah. frame of reference i have yeah R. I. P. Like, yeah but i know i got that all the time and then mm-hmm. recently i was in alabama my cousin who was visiting from palestine he's like has anyone told you you look like amy winehouse and if it makes like, you feel better i've gotten amy winehouse a lot too. really yeah and i don't think dark i look anything hair? like it is just like dark hair light skin like maybe like if I'm out like a lot of eyeliner and how I was dressing like it's just they're very and you were cracked out and you had teeth missing I was super (laughs) cracked out for a while um so I've gotten it a lot less since I've been clean but yeah I just got Morticia Adams oh that's a good one though because Morticia Adams was like the she was like the hot one of the Adams family yeah she was pretty cool she had that tight black dress and the little waist it was sexy yeah Yeah. it was good that's a good one I'm always something gothic on Halloween because I, I just For, love oh it. you mean you you be something you yeah are I'm something? I'm a goth yeah like I had I did Wednesday Adams yeah I've done Wednesday a couple Adams years too. ago yeah. and then I'll I'll usually do something from Timber and like Ooh, I did that's awesome. Carter yeah, that's from oh I did uh, I did a couple of hers I can't <laughs> remember anymore 
So what are the other like things that, that I I feel like I'm very intrigued by this game now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, we could do okay maybe food because that's yeah. A popular do we have one. any unused food ones? Yeah, artisanal anything. Or yeah, artisanal. I don't artisanal. Know. Artisanal. Well, like isn't artisanal when they say it like usually generally just mean like non-processed or like not like I have no idea I what think it, it was means. Like craft, like something. I would think of it as really a term to just increase the price of whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly to take something that's like but, not artificial shit that if it was right. being sold in an immigrant neighborhood. Yeah. Hood, like would be you, cheap but then you're like selling it as like a kind of you're gentrifying it yeah, basically exactly it's totally that's like gentrifying about, food like i do get excited about artisanal ice cream but i think that's because i just like that it tastes like real ice cream and it tastes like real fruit but it doesn't need to be artisanal yeah and, like cost like ten dollars for a cup it something. is it's totally like a label um like designer food type thing for sure it's like when they were calling bushwick east williamsburg but for food oh my god <laughs> really yes. that's yeah, so funny that. It's crazy. I used to work in Flatbush like years ago, and it was not what it's like now. And I'm like, this. I'm going there actually after this for a, a comedian's party, and I'm like, I can't believe like all these comedians live there. And I just remember like a few years ago when I like worked there, or it, it was like in East Flatbush, but people still live there, mm-hmm. and it it was not like occupied by white people <laughs> or young people. Because um, I used to work. My first job was a temp at a hospital. Um, like a temp surgeon. Yeah, I was a temp. <laughs> I was just fill in when the surgeons were hungover. <laughs> so I remember one morning we would get a lot. Whenever I worked weekends, it would be a lot of like I worked in the ICU for a little bit. Just as a dietitian, I didn't really yeah. touch anyone. So yeah. I um, but there was a lot of gang violence, and I remember like one morning there was like bloody footprints coming up to the, cool. the hospital. Um, and now it's just artisanal like droppings of ice cream, like melting. Oh, <laughs> artisanal <think>. blood. Artisanal <laughs> blood, yes. Oh my god. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, so that's keeping up with the Caucasians, and I think we we brought world peace a little bit closer. To I think so all too. Our listeners, can you have an artisanal tanning bed? You know what? Mm. I think that's just called the sun. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but but sun on a beach all that's natural. gated, so yeah, they can exactly. keep poor people out. <laughs> I know all these like bougie labels of things, yeah. like artisanal, whatever. like artisanal like, water. Yeah, Which raw totally water. Do you remember raw water? No. So these fucking dot com people in you know San Francisco, the yeah, source yeah. of so much evil. They decided that like water that's been filtered mm-hmm. and treated and has fluoride in it is bad for you and that you should just be drinking water straight from streams oh my god so that's what it was just yeah. unfiltered yeah like stream just water yeah exactly and i was in puerto rico with you know it was right after maria and i was telling like my friend christine about this and i was like we could fucking make millions selling raw <laughs> oh water god. to these people so all we have is raw water oh yeah seriously god. that's so funny and you uh that's just uh, that's the best. Yeah, how come some water costs like five dollars a bottle? Because like, it's like, got like what's Voss? I mean, I've had it, but why does it cost so much money? Lies. It, it costs money because of the lies. Because <laughs> the bottle is pretty, or like box water. I, is box water just because? I don't the, think box water is. It's just because expensive. Of, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I saw someone drinking it. I've had it before. And I, yeah, because they have it at like festivals a lot because it's not plastic and because it's and like it's more. I don't friendly. know. We'll environmentally ask, yeah. friendly. We'll yeah. have to ask the water experts of Twitter to tell us. So if there are any water experts out there, <laughs> please tweet at us. Yeah. You're going to yell us. us. <laughs> yeah, angry thing about how dare you insult raw water, yeah. you, you whores. So just water, basically. Yeah. That's what it is. Or the sun. Soon Shout out to raw the sun. Air. 
Rawr. Raw air. Oh, I just said rawer. Oh my god. Oh, that was the other horrifying thing that I saw. One time I scammed my way into Fashion Week many years ago, and somehow I got was allowed to go into the gifting lounge, but I wasn't allowed to take actual gifts because I was not fancy enough. Oh my god. And instead, they had this thing where they called them oxygen facials, and it was just spraying your face with air out of a can. What? And they would sell this fucking canned air for like like a lot of money, like fifty dollars. Oh and and oh, these women would be like, my friend got me um, as a gift from Sephora the spray water. The Evian? Yeah. Is it Evian? It's just water in a spray can? Yeah. And you just put it on your face? <laughs> yes. I mean, cool. Actually, uh, yeah, I saw like a bit about it. But anyway, I was just like, what is it? I thought it was like some special like cooling yeah. agent and it's just or water. something. It was just water in a spray <laughs> can. And That's amazing. Everything with beauty stuff is lies. Like, I remember I saw this shampoo that advertised that it was made from real silk blossoms. There is no silk what? blossoms. Silk comes oh, yeah. from, like, the anuses of silkworms. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Oh, what my God. That? That's so funny. Fake news. Guys, we got to invent. The, the thesis of this conversation is we got to figure out some free product that we can sell for and $50. capitalize on it okay yeah i think we need to because fuck journalism this is yeah, obviously exactly. going nowhere it's all going to clickbait like I, i'm sure there's a bright future in comedy but our field is doing yeah. you know? <laughs> i don't know people and, still need to laugh so what do you think what do you think it should be maybe we can bottle new york subway sludge and oh. sell it to people there's you so much what? of it here it might be just like radioactive enough that it would give people superpowers so I think that's. Does it have to be something that bet. people actually want? Though? They don't listen. People outside of New York will be like, "Ooh, How about New York exotic. air that's around, like like smog the air. of Liberty." <laughs> oh, like Liberty air. Yeah. Liberty oh my, Liberty air, air is good. That would that would Ooh. be really cool. Yeah. Okay, you heard it here. It smells, first, like folks. <laughs> it smells like freedom. It smells like freedom. America. Hashtag America. Um, anyway, <laughs> Molly, this was so fun. I can't yeah. believe like and educational. Yeah, thank, thank you. I, I don't I, feel like I said anything particularly enlightening. Oh, I, I feel enlightened yeah. and smarter and cooler being this. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Thank uh, you. Where can we follow your work? Uh, well, you could go to www.mollycrabapple.com and please buy my book, Brothers of the Gun. Yes, Be- we'll post it. Yeah, that, that'd totally be awesome. And I'm on Twitter, uh, though I try to get off of it periodically because it's a terrible place that can you tell Danny to do that, please. Um, but yeah, wait, what's your Twitter handle? Molly Crab Apple. Okay, perfect. And Super guys, easy. please follow us. Yeah, follow the show at No Filist Pod. Yes, I know. We always forget <laughs> the pod at No Filist Pod. And you can also send us an email, but only if it's nice. At no, no send us mean. Ah, uh, fine. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to read it on air. I will. Trolls. I will. Um, and also, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you can just click the five stars, that would be awesome. Or tell a friend or whatever you can do to figure it out. Shout it from the rooftops. Thanks. Thank you, Molly. Thanks for having me. Bye.